Welcome to In the Isles, a movie and TV podcast. I'm James Rothwell. And I'm Dan Acton. This week, we'll be talking about what we've been watching. We have a conflict of interest where we will determine Brad Pitt's best decade. And our main review is Enola Holmes on Netflix. Looking forward to discussing all of the above with you, James. Me too, me too. I think it might have been about six weeks since you requested a bin from the council. Has has one come? Or yes, I'm now fully kitted out with every bin you could possibly wish for. Um, I'm I'm sorted, and no one has stolen it since. I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy. How are you? I bit the inside of my mouth three times in the space of one meal. Oh, I hate that. And it left a massive gash inside my mouth, just a bleeding hole inside, not just a scrape, but a a gash inside, like someone had done something really serious. So I spent a week just not enjoying anything at all. That sounds really, really grim. Are you you okay now? I'm okay now. How did you manage that? I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm just too too excited to eat delicious food. (laughs) I couldn't even smile without it hurting. God. So. I lost my smile like Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to you, though. Don't, don't, don't get enthusiastic about food. Just eat it as if you couldn't be any more bored, and I think you'll be fine. Yeah, or just chew more and slowly. Yeah, all good advice. Yep. Last week, James, as punishment for an unfavorable opinion in conflicts of interest, once again, um, you were tasked with watching Assassins. 33 AD on Amazon Prime, which was a form of punishment. One, was it punishment? Two, tell me about your experience. It was half punishment and half not because it starts off, it's obviously a very cheap film that is not very good. But you know what? There's nothing that wrong with it. (laughs) It's just to bring you up to speed. It is about a accidental discovery of a time machine that is taken over by some terrorists. They used to travel back in time and try to assassinate the Lord Jesus Christ. The title, Assassins 33 AD, I realised halfway through, is a reference to the age of Jesus at the time of his death, 33. Oh, okay. okay. Just a nice detail. Shows that they thought it through a little bit. It's a very convoluted time travel story. It is a lot like Tenet, actually, because these young researchers discover the time travel machine and it's their task in the film to outwit the terrorists so they travel back in time a few times there's different timelines going on there's various versions of the characters running around at the same time and you have the main character the scientist guy who explains things in a really convoluted over the top ridiculous way with timeline a and timeline b using jargon but it seems like it's just a big joke it's a joke that it's this convoluted i think you're just supposed to enjoy it unlike tenor which just tries to be clever and convoluted the acting i think is surprisingly good for the price range that they're in <laughs> it, it is what it is there is a religious agenda here which is quite um clear as you as you get um into the film but it's not embarrassingly preachy it's just, okay, I can see what the people behind this film are going for. But if anything, that just makes it more fun to watch because you've got people talking with a straight face, you know, dying in people's arms saying, you have to save Jesus. <laughs> it's just so funny. And there's a scene where they obviously have to explain why these terrorists are trying to kill Jesus. So one guy says, but should we kill Jesus? He's a prophet as well. No, because if we kill Jesus, then there won't be Christianity. And then, da, da, da. and it's just such a massive mess that it's better to just have fun with it. I think it's a, unashamed. It's just so shameless that I don't think you can watch it without just having a bit of a laugh. One thing that shows that I think an effort is being made is that they do a thing that they sometimes do in time travel movies where the characters are integrated into historical events in subtle ways. So there's a guy called Simon in the crew of scientists and he carries the cross with Jesus. So he becomes Simon of Cyrene who carries the cross with Jesus in the Bible. So that was fun to watch. There was a scene where I wondered like, why is this guy stripping down naked? This makes no sense at all. 
but then I've looked up later on that that is something from the Bible that they were trying to contrive into the story. Um, yeah, not a punishment. Good fun, I think. Okay. I, I only recommended you watch this after hearing on another podcast that it had a very abhorrent depiction of like Islam and it was quite problematic from a racial standpoint. I don't know if I've maybe misconstrued that. Is, is that the case in the film or...? I can see you can get there. You can get there to that interpretation. Right, okay. okay. I didn't find it that offensive. I've looked at some reviews before this and I've seen that that is something that a few people have said, but that seems more like a minority that is saying that it's offensive. Like, it is offensive, <laughs> but it's so ridiculous that I think it's best just to laugh at it. Okay. Right. Well, you've got a, a SWAT team with assault rifles descending on jesus and his disciples (laughs) i don't know how he couldn't just laugh at that i'm half glad that it wasn't too much of a chore for you is meant to be a punishment after all but there you go what have you been watching this week hopefully something better well debatable because not to cover old ground but i wanted to offer an opposing opinion to your review last week of ratchet on netflix so i've now watched this and I couldn't get out of my head from the word go the fact that this uses the same theme tune as Jonathan Creek. Um, it's a classic. It's a classical piece of music, but I just thought I cannot get Alan Davis out of my mind right now because you're playing the Jonathan Creek thing. Anyway, I'm loving this sick shit. I'm loving it. I think you touched on it. It's very, very stylish. The color palette on this show is so rich and vibrant but you may argue that it's a bit more style over substance but i'm enjoying the themes that it's bringing about so far so again you said it can be a bit repetitive in terms of each episode's exploring sadistic killers or depraved sexuality as i said that's that's my that's in my wheelhouse i'm happy with that um it is not for the faint-hearted this at all it is very sadistic you've got Rape, murder, incest, torture, dismemberment. There is no grimstone left unturned at all. It's very much what you described. So if you are into that, or sorry, if you're not into that, probably don't watch it. We've had to ban this program during tea because there's some pretty graphic scenes in this. Uh, One involving a lobotomy with an ice pick through the eye which just caused my partner to just set her meal aside and say, nope, I can't do that now. So yeah, probably not the best thing to watch with food. Although if you are a modern family, maybe you should sit at the table anyway. I think one of your complaints was that there isn't much to it in terms of what, what is it actually getting at? What, what is it trying to portray? And I'll be honest, I'm four episodes in and I don't know either but I would hazard a guess that it's sort of, it wants to highlight the archaicness of like early psychiatric treatment and how absolutely inhumane it was. And I think there's also this idea that what if the people who are in charge of the criminally insane are actually insane themselves and what would happen in that scenario? I'm just really enjoying the over over-the-top nature of it all, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what dark areas of the human mind it delves into next. So, from my side, I would recommend, but not everybody's cup of tea. Excellent. In the Isles podcast, fair and balanced reviews. Indeed. Did you finish it out of interest? No, I didn't. Okay. Okay. What episode did you give up? Five, I think. Okay. What else have you been watching? Something else on my watch list has been Criminal Season 2, again, on Netflix. This show is sponsored by Netflix. I don't know if you... Did you catch any of the first season of Criminal? I didn't. It's passed me by completely. So just a bit of background for people who aren't aware. It was a bit of a, you might say, a failed experiment by Netflix to introduce three concurrent seasons of a show in three different languages. So they had like a French version of Criminal, the UK one, and then I think it was German as well. Only the UK show has returned for a second season. Not too sure why, but I would hazard a guess that it wasn't the overwhelming success that they thought it was going to be. 
but nevertheless, it must have gained some traction or else they wouldn't have done a season two of the UK version. And I had completely forgotten how good I thought that first season was. Just diving into the very first episode, I was like, wow, I am hooked. I'm back into this world of, of criminal interrogation. It's just really refreshing to see something really stripped back and dialogue heavy. You know, it's, it's a drama about pitting police officers against criminals in, in a war of words. There's no fancy explosions or anything like that. It's all very much based in one room. It's just good, old-fashioned, riveting detective work. And in this second season, you get to see Kit Harrington playing against his normal uh, type of role. And that particular episode centers on a potential rape of which he is accused. And without giving too much away, it really cleverly toys with your emotions and who you side with in that episode. Like he's an arrogant prick, but you actually see his point. Once you've seen the episode, you'll know exactly what I mean. But yeah, again, so far, I'm only two episodes into that and I have really, really enjoyed what I've seen so far and I would highly recommend it. Only four episodes as well, so a quick binge watch. Fill your boots. I think I will check that one out if it's got your endorsement. Well, it's just a nice showcase of, of British acting talent as well. Um, so I think you get, oh, what's she called? She was in, she played Agent Carter. Mag Peggy. No, that's the name of the character. Um, <laughs> Hayley Atwell. Hayley Atwell. That's it. Hayley Atwell completely against... What is... What typecast, isn't it? That's yeah, completely one. against type. Yeah. <clears throat> Hayley Atwell, she plays like a southern chav in season one, and that is an absolute standout performance as well. Um, and David Tennant, he gives an absolutely blistering performance in his, his episode as well. Just some real fine acting talent. So, yeah, give it a watch. Does David Tennant play Des? Is it part of the Des <laughs> expanded universe? Um, in hindsight, no. Maybe this was what got in the role of Des, I would say, maybe. Yeah. David Tennant finally having a breakthrough role. There is justice in this world. Do you have anything else? I more want just your thoughts, if you have any whatsoever. I've decided to dip my toe into Utopia on Amazon, and I'm only 20 minutes in. Do you have any sort of um, allegiance to the original Channel 4 version? Did you watch it? Were you a fan? I've not watched it. I wish that I had, and I am planning to watch the Amazon original version. I'm not falling into the camp that is slating this show off because it's got absolutely bombarded with, with negative reviews off people who are mainly fans of the original. 20 minutes in, I can see that they're going for a very, very different type of show. They're not trying to emulate exactly what the Channel 4 version was. But that being said, having watched Channel 4's version, I think you, I think you should watch that first because it is a very, very good show. And I think it might just provide a bit of a counterbalance for what you see with this US version. So not a review as such, just just was interested. Okay. Is Utopia the same writer as The Third Day? No, it's by Gillian Flynn, actually, of Gone Girl fame. Okay, never mind. I thought that might be a segue. What about your good self, James? What have you been watching this last week? A quick one. I watched The Third Day after your enthusiastic recommendation. Not on the same page as me, are you? I'm very much on the same page. I'm fully on the same page. I love it. I absolutely love it. I've watched the two episodes that are available, which will be three by the time this podcast comes out. Everything that you said is true. The overwhelming, paranoid, tense tone that goes through it is brilliant. It's like every line of dialogue that is said there's always something else going on all the time and you're always trying to figure it out what i really like this is very small detail because i don't really have much out to what you've already said is there's a really tight field of focus on a lot of it I can't yeah i know it's like the right terminology so when jude law is in close-up he keeps moving in and out of focus just by moving a little bit mm. and the scenery behind him it's so blurred that it looks like it's a watercolor painting it's just so surreal in such simple ways the setting is brilliant it's so good it's it's one of the best things i've seen recently i think 
Oh, I'm so glad. I genuinely I didn't think he would like it. I really like Jude Law as well, so I'm like, I'm happy to see him in anything. Really, really good. And Julie Walters, is it? That's also in it. Emily Mortimer. I think you think Emily Mortimer. Yeah, Emily Mortimer is. She's. They're all. They're all good in it. But I wonder to people that live on Orsay Island. I wonder how they feel about how they're being presented. That's what I'm thinking about all the time. Is what do they think watching this? <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not being depicted in the best light, are they? It's fictional, though. It's fictional. So yeah. got, got to remember that. Did you not think, though? Well, two two points that I want your opinion on. So the girl he saves, Jude Law, when he is obviously brought into the fold by the family and he demands that he sees their daughter repeatedly. I thought, what is going on here? Like, what? why would you not just tell him to do one and get out? Like, that just seems so inappropriate. Do you not agree? Yeah, when you put it like that, yeah, it does seem a bit weird. They don't want to raise suspicion by saying, oh, just go away, it's fine, it's fine. That, that was the only thing that I thought, not really getting what this is about at all i mean i understand his motivation it just seemed oddly placed that was all and the other thing i thought episode one was crazy but by the end of episode two i thought this has gone next level now do you agree yeah i agree i agree there's an amazing crane shot in episode two that again is so simple but makes it seem so so surreal yeah very very much looking forward to this live theatrical episode whenever whenever that lands yeah, it's funny as well, like the bit where Jude Law says, he's got a gun, he's crazy. And the pub owner says, well, he's a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Just brushes it off. Uh, no, honestly, I'm, I'm made up that you've enjoyed it. What else have you been watching? I finally started watching Outlander on Amazon Prime. Oh, right. I've seen this a lot, I've, you know, on the thumbnails, but never entertained the idea. Yeah, Amazon keeps bumping the thumbnail up. It started in 2014. It's not new content. Season 5 concluded this year. I'm way behind trend on this one. It's about a World War II nurse that travels 200 years into the past to 18th century Scotland. And she becomes involved in the day-to-day life of the Scotch clans and tries to return home to her own time. But as time goes on, she gets involved with the people that she's with she finds romance and she makes friends and as events unfold there's little bits of political intrigue going on between the clans and there's encounters often violent encounters with the british army the redcoats boo the english you've said that there are things that are in your wheelhouse this is in my wheelhouse it's got everything that i want it's got historical fiction a little bit of sci-fi epic storytelling it's awesome I love this program and I wish that I'd been watching it for the past six years. It recreates the setting of the Scotch Highlands really well. The characters are varied and deep. Even the bad ones are given time to shine and have you learn about them. Not necessarily sympathize with them, but the bad characters are threatening. Katrina Balfe is the nurse, Claire Randall, who travels back in time. She's one of the best protagonists I've ever seen in anything. She's intelligent and solves problems and draws you into the story and she's sympathetic there's a voiceover but it's not too much and the voiceover makes sense because she doesn't have anyone to talk to about the fact that she's secretly traveled back through time it is a feminist work and that's been said by the author as this is based on a book and claire as the protagonist has to navigate the world where her position as a woman is not what she's used to and she adapts and questions the way things are done And that's a really good element to it that makes it very engaging to watch, makes you really go with the protagonist as a character. But the men and the society, which is sexist, are not presented as evil. It's just, this is how it was then. It doesn't make sense now, but this is how it was. And now here's someone from the future coming back to question it. It's fun and interesting to watch all the time. So I'm almost finished with season one. I've got so much to get through, but I'm so looking forward to this. It really is in my wheelhouse, like you say one of the best things on Amazon Prime, I'm sure. Okay. That's very interesting because it's not something that I've heard anybody else talk about. So nice bit of a PR campaign that you've given it on here. It's broadcast on stars in America. And if you look at the average ratings, it's only around a million average viewers each season. 
It's quite low. I'm surprised it's yeah, it doesn't have so that. Low. It doesn't have that big numbers, but it's got a rabid fan base, so it always makes itself onto different top ten lists, like on Ranker.com, because it's got such a rabid fan base. And the books are one of the best-selling book series of all time. And what I'm really looking forward to as well is that because I'm an idiot and I like to spoil things for myself, I've already seen that she goes to different countries and it covers a 20-year-plus time span, not from time travel, but that's the amount of time that you see this character go through. So epic storytelling. Can't wait to see what's going to happen to Claire Randall. Question. So it doesn't have a massive fan... Well, it does have a big fan base, but in terms of viewership, not so much. Has the budget affected that? in any way. So this is a period piece, I would imagine it needs quite high production value to, to pull off, you know, presenting the eras. Does does it do that well, or can you tell that they've cut a few corners? Does it look like an expensive show? It does look like an expensive show. It looks like it has high production values, and the advantage, I think, of being in 18th century Scotland is that you can use the landscape that's already there yeah. to give you that epic scale the land is the land and a lot of these castles are still there and you can look at articles on the internet about how they filmed the derelict version of a real castle and then just use cgi to fill out the top bit of it all right nice okay. so a lot of it's there already not a lot of it but enough of it is there already that it can feel like a real world they don't have to build or cgi everything to make it work yeah Okay, very interesting. I may uh, stick that on the ever-growing backlog. Anything else? My final one, just a quick one. Allied, the 2016 film starring Brad Pitt and Marion Coltiard. I watched that, and it's the convergence of three conflicts of interest actors. (laughs) Brad Pitt, which is today's episode, and it also stars Lizzie Kaplan and Jared Harris, our two picks for most underrated actor ever. Really? They were in a yeah. film together? Wow. They were. Did not know that. And it's directed by Robert Zemeckis, who is referenced in I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We've gone full circle. Yeah. What, what an inbred world this film landscape is. This was a box office bomb. It has maybe 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 reviews in a lot of the place. But there it is for free on Amazon Prime. And you know what? I enjoyed it. It does the job. I think maybe it flopped because it flips between a spy film, then a romance, then a spy film, then a war film again. It's a bit all over the place. But when you've got the talent on screen, I don't think it's possible to not enjoy it. So I watched that and I'm happy that I did. Okay. I had disregarded that film, but again, you've made me rethink it. Well, speaking of Brad Pitt, don't don't know why it's a transition. It's very obvious as I've well. I've laid it up for you perfectly. No, you have Speaking of a Brad Pitt underappreciated film of recent times, sh- <laughs> okay. speaking of Brad Pitt, shall we dig a little deeper and explore what is Brad Pitt's best decade? Yes. That's terrible as well, but it'll do. What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut with up, that. Yeah. You do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you say makes sense. Conflicts of interest. This week's conflicts of interest, as you say, Daniel, is what is Brad Pitt's best decade? We've done Tom Cruise, and now we're going to do Brad Pitt. And next week, we'll be discussing what is Kirsten Dunst's best decade. And then we've covered all of the interview with the vampire cast. Christian Slater. Yep. He's the week. Antonio Banderas. Yep. (laughs) Can't even remember who else is in that film. Anyway, let's get down to it. I submit to you, sir, that the best decade of Brad Pitt's can be none other than the decade in which he established and solidified his star power, which was in the 1990s. Now, if Brad Pitt would have had a lull and he had quite a bad decade and then confirmed that he is a film star, we might be having a discussion about this, but you cannot argue with the fact that this man just went from strength to strength throughout the 90s and became 
the living icon that he is today and portrayed characters who have gone to live on as icons within popular culture, such as Tyler Durden. This was the decade in which he brought us the delights of Seven. What was in the box? Terrible. Fight Club, Interview with a Vampire. The list goes on. I mean, I will name them, but I'll leave that for when we have to argue about it. I just don't see how you can possibly disagree that this man made his career in the 90s, established himself as a film star, and has gone on to continue that career up until this very day. But it was the 90s where he solidified his career. Very well put. I will submit the 2010s as Brad Pitt's best decade. No, no. He turns in his best individual performances in Moneyball and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't have any evidence for this, but it seems to me like he's doing exactly what he wants in this decade. In the 90s, he's rising up to the style that we know. In the 2000s, there's more commercial films like Ocean's 12 and 13 and Mr. and Mrs. Smith and Troy, which he's actually said that he didn't want to be in or like. But in the 2010s, I feel like I'm watching someone at the top of their game professionally and not just as an actor. He won the Best Picture Oscar for his role as a producer, which is the highest human achievement available for 12 years a slave. He was nominated for Best Picture Oscar for Moneyball as well. And he won the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Best Sporting Actor. And he was nominated as the Best Actor in Moneyball. 2010s is where you'll find his most financially successful film, World War Z, which is not a film that he was forced into doing. He did it because he wanted to, as I say. He liked the book, and it's his own production company that made it. And just to push on this point that he's at the top of his professional game, Drew Goddard, one of the writers of World War Z, said, to me, the biggest lesson of World War Z was that Paramount, Plan B, and Brad Pitt simply said, let's take the time to make this movie the best version of the movie before we put it out on the screen. And I think that is what Brad Pitt is doing in the 2010s. He's putting out consistently high or at least average quality (laughs) that he wants to do. Never did the word average enter my argument, by the way. Okay. So that's what I've got. What, What do you have to say to that? I, I can't argue with the fact that it's a very, very strong decade, but I do challenge your point around him establishing his versatility as an actor because I feel like the 90s within itself is a very good decade which displays that he has a lot of dramatic range. And I th- also think it's important to note that at first he was perceived as a bit of a pretty boy. and Oh, isn't he good looking? But can he really act? But he transcended those good looks and did, by the end of the night, is become regarded as a very fine actor. He did that within the night is itself. Fair enough. He continued it throughout the decade, which you're claiming is his best work. But I don't agree. And that is that. <laughs> you're misrepresenting what I'm saying. I didn't say it shows his versatility as an actor. I'm saying that's where he's strongest and most consistent. From Tree of Life, Moneyball, Killing Them Softly, Fury, Big Show, Once More Time in Hollywood, even Ad Astra, which has completely been forgotten about by everyone on Earth and in space. It's the consistency of the decade from Tree of Life in 2011 to Once More Time in Hollywood in 2013. That is what I'm trying to get across. Okay. Can I respond to your 90s claim? Of course, please do. There's no denying at all the quality in the 90s as well. Fight Club, Seven, those are just two classic films, two of the best of all time. And I really like I like Meet Joe Black as well. Have you seen Meet Joe Black? I've got a very weird, vague memory of it. Nothing happened to me whilst watching it. I just don't remember it very well. It's got a really good soundtrack. With the 90s, if you look at the list of films that he was starring in, as I am now, there's an upward trajectory, but it starts for Brad Pitt and for Brad Pitt performances with a sort of breakthrough with Thelma and Louise, and then business starts to pick up, and it's only by 94 that you're getting 
interview with a vampire and then seven in 95. So taken as a whole, as a whole, as a decade, the nineties aren't as strong as a whole. Okay. So put this. You've, you, you've got, sorry, you've got, I can't believe I'm about to do a football analogy, but I'm not even going to be able to take it all the way through. <laughs> you've got Argentina, you've got Messi and the other guy, Suarez, two of the best, and everyone else is sort of, you know, they're fine. But I've got a team that I can't think of because I don't know about football. I've got, a de- I've got depth in my squad that runs right through the whole, the whole decade. Right. I'm not, I'm not following the analogy. Well, I am, but, you know, offside, mate. finish it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're offside, mate. Um, I take your point, but, but, but to take that analogy further... Your squad is consisting of a player who is past his prime. He's, he's a sympathy pick, basically. He will not be amongst the most elite actors for the 2010s. He's not up there. Surely everyone's like, yeah, he's a star still. He's a movie star, but he is not the creme de la creme, pick of the crop. He's the number one actor in the world right now. His stars dwindled a bit by that point. He's not the box office maverick that he was in the 90s. And now you're going to shoot me down and tell me that actually the 90s was his lowest performing box office decade. And I can't really argue with that. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, you're right. 90s, 1.5 billion. 2000s, 3.5 billion. 2010s, 2.5 billion. But like you've already said... He's not a blockbuster actor. He's not a Tom Cruise type actor, despite what you might think at first. And I was surprised looking at this. He's done more proper acting, I think. He's done more dramas and stuff, even though he's the heartthrob and he's got all the gossip column words written about him. I don't think box office is is that much in play because I don't think he's been one for massive, gigantic blockbuster films. So I'm not going to use that against you. But what I will disagree with you on is your claim that you seem to be making there which is that he's a dwindling star that's not at the top of his game I don't think that is the case at all when he's picking up Oscar nominations for Moneyball and Once Upon a Time in America World War Z's most financially successful film he's still one of the most popular and influential people in the world, I think. And part of the reason that I chose the 2010s is because I think it's a demonstration that his star power is stronger than ever. He can still lead the big films and turn in the big performances. And I don't think there is a decrease in quality at all. Unlike Tom Cruise, where like neither of us picked the 2010s because we couldn't find that much to go with. I think in the 2010s, he's showing, yeah, I'm still here still strong and i'm doing whatever the f i want okay but i take your point the films you've mentioned in the 2010s i'm not denying that they've left quite a big cultural footprint but and i guess time will tell on this do you think anyone's going to be talking about fury or world war z or once upon a time in hollywood that one aside actually maybe not no one's going to be discussing these 20 years from now People still regard Fight Club, Sleepers, 12 Monkeys, Seven, Legends of the Fall for some. True Romance. These are films that are still talked about and highly regarded today. They've made an impact in people's lives. Now, nobody is going to say, oh, do you know what? Happy Feet 2 changed my life. (laughs) Megamind as well. Don't forget Megamind. Yeah, that's... That's a good point. I think you're pushing it a bit with Sleepers and Legends of the Fall. You're right. Fight Club towers over a lot of Brad Pitt films. It towers over many, many films. 8.8 on IMDb. That's a massive score. And if we were talking about what is Brad Pitt's best film, Fight Club would be a worthy champion, probably. But we're not talking about Brad Pitt's best film. The subject is best decade. I don't want to repeat myself, but (laughs) taken as a whole... I've picked the 2010s because of the quality from start to finish, the consistency and the professional recognition that he's had. 
Yeah, but, you know, um, what's Brad Pitt's best decade? Uh, probably the decade with his best film in it. Do you know what I mean? No, no that's no, no. That's not the point that I'm making. <laughs> Might not be your point. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no, do you know what? You've, you've lost too many, and I'm not doing this to just balance the scales, but let me make a confession to you, James. I've just wax lyrical for 15 minutes about how great Brad Pitt is and you know how the 90s was his best decade well I'll let you into a little secret up until once upon a time in Hollywood I didn't think Brad Pitt was a very good actor so (laughs) that was the film that swung it for me and in the interest of being that transparent it has to be and for all the other reasons that you mentioned the 2010s I think I think you've beat me there. There is a level of consistency that and dramatic range that you see that you don't get in the other decades. I um yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. I had a similar thing actually. I watched Moneyball. I absolutely loved it. And I didn't I wasn't a Brad Pitt fan until that, but I absolutely loved him in Moneyball. And then ever since then I feel like he's just been popping out bangers. So yeah, two thousand tens. I've selected a film for you to watch. Yeah. You talk a lot about crime films and serial killer films. This is not a serial killer film, but the title suggests that it is. It's 1981's Kill and Kill Again. Is is this like a well-known film? I've never heard of it. I don't think so, but when I've looked at it, it seems like that actor and director have made a lot of 80s B-movies, so... I'm I'm just looking at the poster now and I'm already I'm already <laughs> dreading it. Um the slogan for this film, by the way, he's not one of the best, he is the best. So I can just only like Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like Brad Pitt. I can only imagine that fun is in store with uh, Kill and Kill again. So thank you for that. I'll report back next week. Okay. If someone was to kill and kill again, you might need a detective. That is weak. <laughs> Which takes us to our main review. Jingle. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Let me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. Yes, this week's main review is Enola Holmes. Now, where to begin? My mother named me Enola, which backwards spells alone. And yet, we were always together. And it was wonderful. She was my whole world. Which leads me onto the second thing you need to know. A week ago, I awoke. Mother? To find that my mother was missing, and she did not return. I'm presently on the way to collect my brothers, Mycroft and Sherlock. Yes, Sherlock Holmes, the famous detective, my genius brother. He will have all the answers. Enola. Where's your hat and your gloves? Well, I have a hat. Just makes my head itch. And I have no gloves. My God. In the weirdest crossover episode that's ever graced TV screens, Stranger Things 11 competes with Sherlock Holmes to help find her missing mother. Through a relentless series of anagrams and scrabble tiles, Eleven Holmes discovers not only her true self, but also the shocking truth that all men are evil, misogynistic bastards and that women are far superior. That's the overarching message in this female empowerment film inspired by the books of Nancy Springer. Or as IMDb puts it, when Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother missing, she sets off to find her becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. Daniel, what did you think of Enola Holmes? Um, Did you know this wasn't a Netflix original? No, I didn't. It was uh, scheduled for a cinematic release. I don't know what studio it was, actually, but, yeah, they purchased the rights and just released it on Netflix, which surprised me. I did not know that. That does explain why it, it does look good. <laughs> it's not like um, the old guard, which I always thought was a bit 
is a little bit off. This does actually look like a proper film. It all looks looks good. Yeah, let's let's not go down the old card rabbit hole again. We both know that we have conflicting opinions on that. Um, also, as well, I believe, bit of a uh, litigation nightmare with this film because something about Arthur Conan Doyle's estate have have sued Nancy Springer because she it's not out in the public domain for free use the character of Sherlock Holmes and she has uh, she has made quite a bit of money off this so yeah they've been involved in quite a lengthy legal battle it, it is in the public domain it's more it's more complicated okay thank you saying. for correcting me <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you read headlines but don't read them properly some of the books are in the public domain the older ones but the newer ones have not passed into the public domain. So it's a lawsuit based on specific later works in which Sherlock becomes a more emotional character. And the claim is that Nancy Springer is using that more emotional version of Sherlock Holmes and that that is the infringement. That's, that's tenuous, isn't it? I don't, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think they're going to win that, to yeah. be honest. It's a weird one. Anyway... I thought, to summarise it, that this is a perfectly serviceable and enjoyable Sunday afternoon film. I think it's absolutely perfect for that scenario. If you just want something easy going, you want to have a bit of fun, on a Sunday afternoon, sit down and watch Enola Holmes. It's very, very pleasant. That would be my uh, summary of this. I did like the fact that this wastes no time with getting on with it whatsoever. As soon as you're thrown into the film, you get this quick opening, quick cut montage with Millie Bobby Brown voicing over um, a lot of exposition and speaking directly to the camera. Very early doors, you know that this is going to be a feminist piece because you get the line, oh, good God, feminism. And it's kind of repeated from that point on. It, it's It's lacking any real subtlety and nuance when it comes to you know, displaying that message to the audience. Very, very similar, I would say, to Mulan uh, and some of the complaints that you had. You do, again, very, very early on in the film, get this overarching male dominance from the brothers of Mycroft and Sherlock, and she does feel like quite a repressed character. You get the line as well from Sherlock, you're getting quite emotional. And it's like, yeah, women are emotional. Yeah, whatever. I have to say, Millie Bobby Brown... I felt really conflicted watching this. I didn't know she was English. So at first I was like, oh my God, her English accent is amazing. No, she's English. That's why it's good. Um, But I say I'm conflicted because I really, really enjoyed her performance. And I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what she does in the future because I think she's a very good actress. But I found the direct conversation with the audience breaking down that fourth wall, I found that very irritating at points. It was just overly used, and I thought you characters actually borderlining on a bit cringeworthy or annoying. That being said, like I said, I, I can't deny the fact I, I did I did enjoy this film. So yeah, you want a bit of an old timey, good old fashioned fun? Watch this film. Yeah, you. What did you think? Yeah, very similar, very similar to you. I'm not a massive Sherlock Holmes fan. I haven't read the books. The BBC series was good. So I don't have any special feelings towards these characters, didn't go into it with any preconceived idea of what it should and shouldn't be. So I I enjoyed it as well. I've not read the book, don't know anything about it, so I don't know what is different. So again, no preconceived notion of what it needed to be. If anything, after the other stuff we've looked at, it's refreshing to see a clear story being told from (laughs) A to B. Uh, To be fair, like you say, it does have a simple setup. I knew what was going on and who was who it sticks with the main character all the way through and i did want to know what was going on i wanted to know the answer to the mystery and where the mother was i was into it and it does move along quite nicely it doesn't hang around in one place for too long the information comes clues are assessed enola holmes is just constantly pushing it forward which made it very easy to watch it reminded me of mulan as well so i won't repeat that that you've already said millie bobby brown is good obviously really good in stranger things she's good in this again you've already said it talking to the camera was 
it was cheating a bit, if anything, that you've got a character telling you what she's feeling all the time. I understand that's a way to get around the book being in the first person. Mm. Henry Cavill is fine. He's not given much to do. He's in there. He's so ripped for a detective. <laughs> um, Sam Claflin, who plays Mycroft, is one-dimensional by design for obvious reasons, which is a bit disappointing because I quite like him. And Helena Bonham Carter was wasted. I thought Helena Bonham Carter, one of the greats, wasted in flashbacks with most of her content being delivered to camera. It's not aimed at me. I know that. But it's a positive story and it's fine. It's fine. Like you say, it's fine. I did enjoy it. And like I've said before, I always like to see an old timey period recreated and get to spend some time in early 20th century London with all the costumes and the vehicles and the old timey printed posters that they have and the weaponry. It was, yeah, it was good. That was good to see. I think with the exception of Millie Bobby Brown, I think a lot of the actors were wasted in this. I think Henry Cavill, like you said, he's not given a lot to do, but he's Sherlock damn Holmes. He should have a bit more to him than this. It was, it was, bit of a throwaway role i thought doesn't bring much to the table because he's arguably the biggest name here and it's just it's just a bit of a nothing role but there you go yeah i think that's because all the focus is on putting over enola holmes as the strong character as the one who outsmarts everyone and it's completely at the expense of everyone else in the film no that's that's a very fair point actually I'm so happy that I've talked about Outlander in this episode because it's similar for obvious reasons, obvious thematic reasons, but Outlander does everything that Enola Holmes tries to do so much better. I'm so happy that I've brought Outlander up so that I can't be accused of things in this episode. (laughs) Have you, um, have you heard of the, this girl can campaign? No. From a few years ago. The This Girl Can campaign was developed by Sport England to promote sport amongst women. The first TV ad was aired in January 2015. There was a lot of social media advertising and cinema and outdoor advertising. The hashtag This Girl Can was used. It was very successful and only an insane person would not support that message. So don't get me wrong here. This film felt like a two-hour This Girl Can advert. This girl can do archery, jujitsu, detective work, disguise, spying, shooting. And that would be good if there was a better story to back it all up, like Outlander. Outlander has an awesome story backing it all up. And then the themes come afterwards. But this is theme first, no story. Or at least not a very interesting story. It's difficult though, isn't it? Because this is... Like you said, you're not his target audience. This is probably primarily aimed at at teenage girls. And I think for the message that it's trying to send out and the fact that... I know what you're you're saying. It's not aimed at us, so I don't really... It's maybe not even fair to to bring it up because it pitches it just right at that level. It's not too complicated in the plot because it is aimed at a younger audience. And that's fine. Why not? Why would you have an outrageously complicated plot like you have in the BBC? Holmes programs when that's not the audience for it and that's fine and I did enjoy it I was happy to go along for the ride yeah and I I think if I had a 14 year old daughter I would heavily endorse this film and say this this is this is a good film for her to watch I think it it succeeds um, in that way it's just like you say we're not the target audience and I think I could have done with something more similar to what you've discussed with Outlander. Just, just don't batter me over the face with it. Just, just subtly hint at, at these ideas of female empowerment and and feminism. I don't need it um, absolutely rammed down my throat to the point where I can't breathe. Yeah, and I think children don't need it rammed down the throat this much. No, children aren't stupid. Mm. Most are. My <laughs> wife, <laughs> my wife, who is a woman found it cringy and she said they were overdoing it and got up and walked out. She came back, but (laughs) she did walk out, but didn't ask to pause it. And she said something interesting. She said that you could do this with any famous character, which is what I did. So I've got some film pitches for you. Would you like to hear them? 
Enola Baggins. When Frodo Baggins' teen sister discovers her uncle Bilbo is missing, she sets off to find him, becoming a ring bearer in her own right, as she outwits her famous brother and his fellowship, and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around the heir to the throne of Gondor. There's thought gone into it, but I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings uh, or the universe around it, so I will not be financing that. Next! Enola Skywalker. When Luke Skywalker's teen sister discovers Obi-Wan Kenobi is missing, she sets off to find him, becoming a fighter pilot and Jedi in her own right, as she outwits her famous brother and his misogynist friend Han Solo, and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a planet-destroying weapon. I'm not trying to piss on your chips. I don't really like Star Wars. Next. Enola of Nazareth. When Jesus Christ's teen sister discovers her mother, the Virgin Mary, is missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a religious leader in her own right, as she outwits her famous brother and his disciples and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around 30 silver coins. Is Sorry, forgive the idiocy of this. This is a prequel or a sequel to Passion of the Christ. It goes along mm, prequel. Of course it is, yeah. Because of the... Yeah. Uh, uh, who's directing? Mel Gibson again? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> Any other pitches? <laughs> no, that's, that's it. That's it. You ended on a strong one. Thanks for that. Okay. I'd like to see this as a new thing each week because you you did it with Mulan where you put forward an alternative version of the film that would have been a lot better and um, most times you you completely bang on so I'd like to see this as a recurring theme. Okay, you know what? If that doesn't if that isn't the segment that goes viral, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> James, would you recommend Enola Holmes? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend Enola Holmes? If you are 14 and female, yes. If you are 35 and male, yes. <laughs> right. Spoilers? Yep. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> First off, this overwhelming message of feminism and female positivity and empowerment the central villain's a bloody woman sad about Subvert, subverting expectations that's what they're doing yeah yeah she is an old woman though she's an old woman which plays into a secondary theme of those wishing to preserve the way things are yeah conservatives with a small c they need to be left behind and give way for a new generation to create a new world that's the secondary theme that was going on okay spoilers so i've said that i like it i like the story however the mother disappears of her own free will that's established at the start she chooses to leave so why leave a contrived trail for the the daughter in other homes to follow i didn't get that it's not like she was kidnapped and she's secretly leaving stuff she's deliberately endangering and frustrating her daughter. Why? Didn't get that. No, I didn't get that. I can only imagine it's some sort of weird marketing deal with Hasbro Games and the use of Scrabble. Um, that that's that's it. That's all I can. No, they didn't get it. It was just yeah. unnecessarily complex. Did you not think with that whole element of the plot as well that it was largely? completely redundant like i was getting up until the last five minutes and i thought we're not finding out anything about what's going on with the mother here and all right they, they did go there and it was covered but just made me reassess how valuable that whole plot thread really was yeah they literally tear the mother storyline up there are these title cards that come in like old-timey paper style cards and there's a bit where that gets torn the searching for mother title card gets literally torn away to give way to saving the Viscount. And that's about 45 minutes. And then you go, okay, so this has taken over the whole film now. It's a side quest that takes over mm. the whole film. And that baffled me a little bit. Again, I was enjoying it. So I thought, okay, I guess this is the plot now that's changing halfway through. But that was a bit weird, yeah. 
When um, she embarks upon this journey to find a mother as well, there is a scene, I would say, around the halfway point where she stumbles upon a jujitsu um, class within London. Now, I didn't question that, and I didn't think it was pushing the realms of possibility. What did you think? Because I read up online, there was, there was a very, very angry IMDb reviewer who responded to a load of negativity around the fact that jiu-jitsu is mentioned in this film and, and pointed out that it is entirely historically accurate. But did it strike you as odd? It did strike me as odd. I, too, have seen a comment saying that jiu-jitsu was introduced into the UK in the 1950s. So I did think this is a bit weird, but as it's fiction, I let it go. I did think about looking into it, but I thought I'm not going to be pedantic, but it did seem a bit strange. And it ties into something else that I didn't get, which is that Sherlock Holmes and Enola Holmes, it's about being a detective and using your superior intellect and deductive thinking to solve problems. But then she starts to learn hand-to-hand combat. And there are a few scenes, well, maybe only two, three if you include the training of jiu-jitsu, where you have hand-to-hand combat going on. So it's the 15-year-old girl engaging in hand-to-hand combat with a grown man and not getting immediately destroyed. And then the finale to the whole film is her doing a kind of corkscrew takedown on someone, which seemed a bit out of place in a detective film. I was looking forward to seeing her actually use her intellect and actually outsmarting Sherlock Holmes and everyone else in a genius stroke to solve everything. But it's about jujitsu instead. That's, that's a very good point actually, because I suppose at at the heart of this, it is, you know, you've got Sherlock Holmes's sister. You would think that the element of, of problem solving and whittling down clues is, is what, is going to save the day and it's not you're completely right it's it doesn't seem too concerned with focusing on that which which is odd for something that is called Enola Holmes but they maybe it's meant to bolster this message of again uh, women being independent and the fact that you know we can defend ourselves and maybe that was thrown in there to just hammer that message home even more yeah what I was looking for forward to or what I was expecting to happen is that they hype up that Enola has read all these books all the books in her big privileged mansion that she lives in rent free and what I thought we were building to was that she's got the superior intellect and once once you put her out into the male dominated world and give her an equal chance actually turns out that she's better than everyone so you were wrong to underestimate her and not give her a chance because she's better than you. Mm. And I, I would have liked that. That would have been good. But it that didn't. I think maybe they were doing that, but it didn't quite get there. There was a hint of something better that was going to happen where Enola Holmes finds her mother's secret bomb collection and she finds a poster that appears to be for a protest for women's suffrage and I thought that's really interesting and really good you're going to insert the politics of the time into this story and have Enola Holmes work her way into it and it links right round to current issues and I thought this could actually end up turning into something really good but that isn't the main story of this at all and I looked it up and this film takes place in 1900 and women's suffrage, of course, was 1918. So it's not going to be about that. But I was pretty excited to see them link in some politics of, of the time and add some complexity to it. But I guess this is a film that is not aimed at that old of an audience. So they didn't do that. But I was pretty hyped when she found that poster. But it doesn't follow up on that at all because it's about something else. And the mother just turns up in in old Holmes's bedroom at the end. She just walks in and says, oh, here I am. Doesn't give any answers, doesn't say what she's been doing, and that's it. Setting up for the sequel, right? Setting up for the sequel. In exactly the same way that they did with the old guard, if you remember, just having a character turn up and say, hello, I will be in the sequel. Ah, yeah, of course, of course. 
So if they're going to have Enola Holmes get involved in her mother's politics, I'd love to see that. That sounds really good. I look forward to it and I will watch sequel, but I hope it doesn't go with conveying the exact same message again. I hope it tries to do something a bit different. Obviously retain some of that, but don't probably make it as profoundly visible as it is in in this film. I just want to see a different story now, perhaps a bit more exploration of Enola Holmes's character and and how she develops. Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. Well, case solved, which means that's the end of this week's episode. Join us next week where we will be reviewing Tesla, which has met very mixed reviews. James, how can people get in touch? You can follow us on Instagram in the Isles podcast. Or you could, and I've been saying this wrong since the very inception of this podcast, you can email us at inthealespodcast at gmail.com. We're in 2020. You don't have to use the googlemail.com. What have I been talking about? I mean, both work. I've not got it wrong to the point where no one can email us. But just use Gmail. That was overly uh, descriptive. There was no need for that. Sorry. (laughs) Bye. Bye.